Hello, friends. Dave Bjork here, lung cancer survivor, patient advocate, and yes, I am the research evangelist, and welcome to the Research Evangelist podcast, coming to you, as always, uh, from just outside of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. So welcome. And you know, the Greek meaning of evangelist is bringing the good news. And I like to think that I'm bringing the good news in cancer research and care by interviewing people in life sciences that are doing amazing work, seriously amazing work. Uh, I call them brilliant, but not famous. And <laughs> well, the not famous part is irony because they're all well-known and respected uh, in their fields uh, by their peers and, uh, and by the communities that they serve. But my next door neighbor might not recognize their name. So they really are brilliant and they are committed to the work that they do. Uh, but they just might not be, quote unquote, famous in the way that we think of people who are famous. I, anyway, I love meeting these amazing people and sharing a little bit about them and the work that they do. And I also believe in serendipity. So I hope that some positive things come from their, uh, sharing their stories with you uh, and to the universe. So today I'm super excited to have on my show uh, Celine uh, Kernaz. And wow, amazing. Uh, she is uh, the founder, uh, hardcore engineer, uh, not as non-status uh, quo businesswoman, Jill Marker, uh, a CEO of um, Massive Bio. And so she founded Massive Bio um, after a family situation in cancer because she's obsessed with enabling access to clinical trials to cancer patients uh, around the globe, regardless of their location and or their financial stability. Of course, this is something that really uh, resonates with me. So she's also obsessed with you know, making things work, and regardless of how difficult or even uh, if she's the only person in the universe that believes in it, and she's obsessed with delighting her customers, uh, and I understand, and she understands the value of gaining and retaining customers. So, Dan, I'm so um, excited to um, introduce the universe to this remarkable woman. Um, and I think the biggest thing, uh, Celine, is like when we talked about connecting people to clinical trials and, you know, your uh, personal drive for this, um, I'm really excited to have you on the show. So thank you so much, Celine, for being on my program and welcome to the Research of Insulus podcast. Thank you so much, Dave, uh, for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation, and I can't wait to talk about this. Awesome, awesome. Uh, what what I'd like to what I would like to do, Selena, is that to, to I would love to start with. Um, obviously, your your mission is like amazing, but I'd love to have you tell our um, tell our audience and and about like the young Celine Kernaz, like like. What was, you know, did, did you want to go into this uh, 
work at, you know, as a young person or kind of give, can you give us a little insight into the, what I like to call the quote unquote quotation fingers, the, the, the young Celine Kernes. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, David. So what happened is that, you know, this basically founding massive bio was absolutely the God's plan for me. It was not my plan for sure, frankly. So I basically uh, graduated from different engineering degrees. And for 10 years, I was in strategy operations and transactions. You know, I was this kind of rock star person that is trying to make a partner in a large firm and then trying to open up my own growth equity fund, you know, this kind of fairly driven uh, fairly A plus type personality, just running like 300 miles per hour, if not 3000, you know, that was my life. But then a little bit more than six years ago, my life one day came to a point that I have started to see there are different things in life than my current life. And at that point in time, my uncle has been diagnosed with cancer and that was a devastating experience for me and for my family. You know, I could not really articulate what that even means when my mom was crying on the phone to give me the news and the challenge and all that stuff. So, and it just really changed my perspective in life at that point in time that I said, okay, you know, I'm basically trying to do all the things that I'm doing in my life. But at the end of the day, all these things that I do is going to impact what, you know, I went into all this education, I went all this kind of business, but how much impact that I'm bringing to the people's life. And that moment coincide with kind of my mom's crying on the phone about what's happening in the family, basically open up a new world for me, which is really putting my life, heart, money, time, and intelligence to support cancer patients to get access to the clinical trials or to the treatments that they deserve. Because what I'm understanding is that this is not something, you know, about just, you know, like a financial driven, just kind of uh, logistics driven, this combination of everybody in this world of cancer is somehow one way or, or the other is discriminated. Uh, because of the inefficient infrastructure and the 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 world that the uh, that we operate in, and at that point in time, you know, I say, okay, I'm go going to do this thing, and and I actually lost my aunt to cancer four months ago. So this is, you know, of course, a business for me. I'm just basically trying to grow this baby, but at the same time, you know, this cancer and access to cancer patients to the right clinical trials, to the right drugs is really personal for me because I have seen on the first hand the disconnect between what patients are going through, what the pharmaceutical companies are doing. And then I said, there has to be a bridge for this. And I put myself into that hot seat. Frankly, if I knew that, if this is going to be this challenging, would I do it? I would do it, but I would do it a little bit cautious you know, like, uh, it's just like so difficult to operate in this world of cancer and try to eliminate the barriers and trying to eliminate the resistance in this world to open up a new life for a cancer patient. One more graduation, you know, one more wedding, one more, I would say, family get together is what we, I would say, stay in this life. That's why I work like almost like 20 hours a day. And, and that's my life. 
Yeah. So, Celine, let let before we get into like the specifics of massive bio, I, I would love to like unpack this 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 how it's personal for you and like how you were. I think you were working at Ernst and Young, and you were in this like high driven high. I I know that world, right? So you're like pushing and driven and all that. And then you have these personal experiences that, that happened to you. So how did you make that transition? Like how did, how did, how do you actually like change from this, like your career as, as, as a Ernst and Young consultant and, and doing the, the stuff that you're doing to like sort of switching to this, like, mission-driven work that I feel like you, that, that you're, that you're on a mission for now? Yeah. So it was, it was a little bit interesting because, you know, like I sit down, you know, after getting all the news and then going through some of the kind of the journey of, of my uncle, you know, I sit down and say, okay, you know, I love my prior company or saying they're a wonderful company. But then I came to a point that, you know, I said, if I basically continue my career in this direction, you know, there is going to be a lot of me in this world in the RST Young. But what I said is that I wanted to, I would say, go and do something in this particular world of cancer that, you know, there are different people like me, crazy outliers, need to enter this space in order to really bring some diversity in the thinking because we're trying to solve a clinical research problem there are two ways that you can solve a clinical research problem you can solve that clinical research problem with a clinical research type of an approach or you can solve that clinical research problem with an engineering based approach and i said okay there are some fundamental issues like access to clinical trials you know diversity in the clinical trials equity in the clinical trials or you know, access to the right treatment at the right time, you know, I said those are kind of not new problems, okay? Those are the problems that has been done there for multi, multi years. And I said, okay, it seems that the clinical research version of these problems is, I would say is great, but it's not sufficient to solve this thing at scale. And I said, okay, let me bring a different approach from an engineering layer to a clinical research problem. And I said, okay, who can do this thing? You know, I basically nominated myself with a nomination of one. I said, okay, I have all this kind of engineering knowledge, you know, system, I would say thinking, and I have gathered all this business experience in order to be able to scale the things. And then at that point in time, I started to, I say, bring a people around me because this is not something that you as an individual can do this, uh, this thing by yourself because the problem is so enormous that you actually need to partner with the right people. And then I basically started to do my own due diligence, what the real problem is, what kind of issues that the cancer patients are, uh, are working on, and then try to bring the right people, my co-founders, uh, I would say um, around this and some of the kind of the fairly um, uh, good team members. And that's how we have started this thing. That doesn't mean that, you know, the way how we started is how we are doing right now. We have, I would say, a version uh, versions of the things that we do over the way, but there is 
one thing that has never changed, and I was actually saying that too in our all hands meeting last week, and there is one thing that will never change, our obsession to help cancer patients and to create positive outcomes in their lives has never changed and it will never change. However, how you get there, depending upon what we learn in the industry, depending upon what we learn in each site, each physician, each trial, of course, we have to, I would say, adapt to that environment in order to be able to provide the best experience for cancer patients while we are advancing the field. So that's where uh, we are at right now. But it was a nomination of one day, you know, like there was no one that was kind of giving me the baton saying that, oh, Celine, do, do, do that. You know, I think that's my personality. You know, if, you know, there is no, I would say table, you basically create that table and you take your seat at that table. I'm not a person that basically asks for an invitation. So that's the kind of the approach that I have um, in the business world and my, I would say, in my life. And that's how I started. You know, I do not regret a second of what I have done. You know, I think this is probably the most challenging that I have done in my entire life, but I have not seen this level of a reward, a personal, you know, and a kind of a uh, mental reward uh, as well as psychological reward in my life because I've never touched people's life that closely in my life before. And this is the moment. And, you know, like hopefully God will give me the health um, uh, to survive, uh, you know, for some other years. And then I will basically help cancer patients for the rest of my life. That's amazing. Uh, let me, let me like, uh, take a step back from what you just said, because what you said was like amazing, but, um, so my nephew, my nephew, um, is, a is an engineer. Um, and he is, um, <laughs> I'm happy to share this actually. He's, he's actually decommissioning the Yankee nuclear power plant in Vermont. Um, and, and so, uh, he, he has a perspective that is totally different from mine. I'm not, I am totally not engineer. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually really interested in hearing like your perspective, like, like that's your, that's your knowledge and experience and training. You're an engineer. So when, and we'll talk about massive bio, um, in a minute, but, but I would love to hear your thoughts on like, you had this personal experience like with your family members who were impacted by cancer and that you felt like you wanted to make a difference. Right. And so can you give me some insight as from a, from an engineering, I'm using quotation fingers, nobody can see this, but um, like, so what, so, so, so what was your perspective as you, as you, threw yourself into this, right? Because you definitely threw yourself into this. Yeah, so I threw myself into this. When I was throwing myself into this with all honesty and transparency, I did not know that the issues are this big, okay? You know, I was naive and, and putting myself into the hot seat. But then, you know, the more that, you know, like every good engineer, I tried to really, 
understand what the actual issue is. You know, if you think about the clinical trials, you know, what are the actual issues are? The actual issues are, you know, identifying those patients. You know, these are kind of rare population that's looking at pretty, I would say, a specific set of criteria in the clinical trials. That was an issue. You know, prescreening those patients at scale was an issue. The last mile is the holy grail of this thing, because even if you basically identify a patient at a, uh, I would say, a clinical level for that patient to be operationally feasible, you lose 75% of the patient in that translation. And that's a huge issue. So first, you know, like every good engineer, I started to really decompose the problem, what the real issue is. So, so that's, we put that onto one side. In addition to that, I have conducted a lot of discussions with the patients, with the physicians, you know, and then in the later part of with the pharmaceutical companies, you know, what do they actually need? You know, what everyone is looking for and how they're trying to solve that. And then the third aspect, you know, that we have focused on, okay, how can we solve this problem at a scale? Because one of the issues in the world of clinical trials is that everything is almost like mom and pop shop. Even if you go into the large, you know, very large, uh, I would say academic medical care center, you are still kind of prescreened for a handful of trials. You know, there's no single mechanism that you can be prescreened for thousands of thousands uh, in, in a particular location. So we basically try to kind of think about how we can scale. And in addition to that, we put the ingredients of the engineering, which is like the precision, the accuracy, you know, like I think in the clinical research world, you know, they have been trying to solve problems to be in the box, you know, because of the compliance and all the other things. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the optimal solution. Okay. You know, in the engineering world, you know, since we are the ones that is designing the, the kind of the engines that you need to have like almost like 100% perfection because the people are at the mercy of that design that you have made, the bridge that collapses and all that stuff, you know, like the, the I would say the, uh, the uh, local optimal solutions are not good enough for engineers. You need to go into a global optimal solution and you need to go into that minutia you know, if you get to 67%, it's not good enough. You have to get into the 100% of that. So we also try to bring those disciplines into this thing. And I think, again, these kind of very complex, multi-stakeholder problems needs, I would say, solutions that is multidisciplinary, that requires the fundamental people from the clinical research to bring some of the subject matter expertise and the understanding. But at the same time, you have to marry that with different disciplines like engineering, like data science, uh, like some of the other ones in order to really take this problem to its next layer. Because, you know, the problems are so complex that you know, like just one approach, just one person is not good enough. You know, it's almost like you're doing that open source problem solving in order to resolve the issues. There is a problem in the data. There's a problem in the technology. There's a problem in the access. There's a problem uh, in the last mile, all those kind of universe of that. But when there is a problem, there is also an opportunity in my perspective. I don't see the problem as a negative way, don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that 
although it's not wrong, we have to think about differently, you know, and there has to be more crazy people like myself, you know, coming from different disciplines and focusing on these areas to solve these fairly large scale multifactorial problems. Yeah, I thank you. Um, thank you, Celine. I, I, I have to say that from my perspective, and again, thinking of my my nephew who sees the world hundred percent differently than I do. Right. But I, I think of like the approach that you're taking to this uh, from an engineering uh, perspective and your experience. So I, I think this is a really good uh, point for, I, I would love to have you sort of transition and, and explain to me like, what is massive bio doing? Like, what is your mission? Like what? And again, I, 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 I come to this as a patient advocate, as you know, I, I'm a lung cancer survivor and I'm a patient advocate. I hundred percent appreciate the work that you're doing, even though it's like way, it's like above my, it's like above my understanding <laughs> probably. But I would love to have you like explain to us like what is the mission? Like you're an engineer, like you are you are a you are a brilliant woman. Like, what is your mission with what you're doing with massive bio and how you can have real truly impact on clinical trials? Yeah, so let me first basically give you the high level what we do, and then let me kind of decompose that into layman terms, and then uh, and then talk about the approach. You know, at the, the core and center, Massive Bio is a company that is empowering cancer patients to get access to clinical trials, regardless of where they're located or what their financial stability is. One thing that is, again, not changing is that Massive Bio is a company for oncology and hematology. We, of course, cover certain aspects of the rare diseases, but we are not your, you know, this is a company for, uh, for everyone. This is a company for cancer, basically. So what that kind of, that kind of mission means, you know, if you're a cancer patient today, you go into uh, an oncologist and 50% of the time, you know, again, since 85% of the, I would say the uh, oncology has been a practice in community-based oncology, uh, you know, 50% of the time when you go into an oncologist, you know, you are not necessarily be discussing the clinical trial option. And then you go into the other 50%, you started to, I would say, start clinical trial options, but the options that you are discussing at that point in time are the two or three options that is available at that community hospital, okay? So, but in, in the reality, when you go into clinicaltrials.gov, there is right now 13,000 actively recruiting oncology clinical trials across the globe. And these are the interventional. I'm not talking about the observational, all the kind of the nuance layer of clinical trials. Those are hardcore interventional, actually recruiting global 13,000. So what that means is that, you know, a, a situation, one of the most, I would say, serious situations like cancer, 
you are at the mercy of handful of trials at best at a 50% chance versus there's a 13,000 actively clinical trials that is available for you. So even if you wanted to go and buy a shoe, there are like thousands of options. You know, you select whatever you want, but at this level of a serious issue that is changing your life, I felt that is so frustrating for a cancer patient to get restricted with these very limited options. And what Massive Bio does is that instead of you getting considered for these handful of options, we just wanted to make sure that what is available for you in that 13,000, that's point number one. Point number two is that it's not just kind of, we say, oh, there is a clinical trial available right there. We actually hold the hand with you in order for you to be able to get to that trial. You know, the, we have, for example, a last mile team that we have established, you know, working on the arrangement with the PI, with the treating oncologist, with the caregiver, looking at all the financial considerations, looking at all the logistical consideration. You know, it's not just we provide you kind of the quote unquote, the advisory for you to, okay, this may be a potential option for you, but at the same time, you know, helping you to get there. You know, you will be surprised for one patient how much I would say a virtual surgery, quote unquote, that we are doing in that process in order to be able to, uh, for that patient to get to the level that they want. Celine, that's that's amazing. Can, can I ask you like this, the way that you've described, is it, are there differences between uh, someone who is uh, seeing an oncologist in a community setting versus someone in a, uh, ac like an NCI designated uh, cancer setting? Are there differences? Because what, what, what you're describing is this, this notion of like, uh, is a patient being offered like all of the available opportunities versus like what somebody might actually understand or know like, and again, I'm no disrespect to community oncologists, but if they only know of like a handful of opportunities, and I think this is something that's important uh, to, to my audience, it's like, it, even if it is an academic medical center, are they only talking to patients about clinical trials that are available because they have a, a, a particular knowledge about it, right? So can you kind of unpack that for me? Yeah, so I think if you think about this thing, you know, there is the kind of the large academic medical care centers and there is a community-based practices. In these large academic medical care centers, I think there are two criteria. One of them is that those are typically the, the, the oncologists there are subspecialists. You know, they are focused on a particular disease, you know, particular subtype of cancer. And there are even in certain, I would say, uh, academic medical care center, they are even, even more granular or vanilla than the subtype of cancer. You know, those are the people that sees breast cancer her two from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. at night. You know, they are very, very, I would say, subspecialized on to the details of that particular cancer type. And then they, of course, are working on that field 
you know, very rigorously knowing, you know, all the trials and trying to scout them every single day and all that stuff. And then there is a community oncology where the community oncologist is not just seeing breast HER2, you know, they're seeing a kind of a potpourri of the different subtypes of cancer on a given day. Yes, there are more mature community practices that there is subspecialization. I'm not saying that if you go to community, there's absolutely no subspecialization. I don't want it to be misunderstood, but relative to the kind of the large economic medical cancer is much less. And then the amount of clinical trials, of course, are less in these institutions, you know, and also it's not possible for one oncologist to be able to knowledgeable for clinical trials for all the subtypes of cancer because their volume is at least two, two and a half times more than an oncologist that is operating in a large academic medical cancer center. So I think we just need to be very clear that this is nothing about blaming anyone or anything like that. We're just trying to lay out the foundational baseline of the operating model for these two institutions, okay? But at the same time, even if you go into the largest of the largest, I would say, cancer center, we basically talk to these centers and we are not finding a centralized, you know, you walk into the world's largest cancer center, there is no system that when you walk into that, that I would say, cancer center that you are prescreened for every single trial at that cancer center plus all the cancer centers that's around that cancer center. That system doesn't exist. That's the kind of the thing that we are trying to do. And in addition to that, you know, when you enter to that cancer center, the ship has already sailed, you know, like you don't want it to go into that cancer center. A lot of the time said that, you know, you are not eligible for this, you are not eligible for then why do I have gone there? Do you know what I mean? You know, my I would say vantage point there is that I want the cancer patient to go into a cancer center for enrollment, not for soul searching. You know, like I just wanted to make sure that, you know, they know their options, you know, in advance. And then there is a consultation that happens between the treating oncologists and the PIs. And if they are ready, you know, if they're eligible, then they take their luggage and go to the center as opposed to going to the center and then start searching what can potentially would work. And, you know, that also kind of loses time, you know, and also keep in mind that, you know, these trials are not in every single location, you know, like, you know, there are certain, I would say, centers that has more of the clinical trials, which means that the patient need to travel to go into one location and the other. And I don't want the patient to travel just basically not knowing where they're going and why they're doing this thing. Do you know what I mean? So those are the kind of the, you know, not only the availability or, or the the number of clinical trials out there, but it's also from an operational standpoint, I wanted to reduce the, uh, I would say the burden on the cancer patient because we have a lot of cancer patients that are full-time workers. You know, it's very hard for them to be able to get the, uh, I would say the, uh, the necessary uh, permissions to leave their job. And some of them maybe I would say sitting in a job that they have to be in front of the people all day long that they may not get the opportunity uh, to have a kind of a, uh, uh, to have some uh, off time and all that stuff. So those are all things that we are trying to, to resolve saying that, okay, you go into that cancer center when, if, and how it is actually needed. Yeah, and let me, let me uh, uh, jump in and say, uh, and I, I'd like to ask you um, about the uh, specific work that 
massive bio is doing. But to your point about even at an academic medical center, right? And I was treated at Mass General, and it's no, it's no secret. I'm very public about that. Like this notion of what you were just talking about, of whether or not patients are uh they were are are giving the opportunity to clinical trials that not, that might not be happening at Mass General or Dana Farber or Beth Israel or Brigham and Women's or right Johns Hopkins whatever right are are patients actually getting and and I, this is I mean this is I don't I I again I I I'm I full respect for the medical professionals in oncology that are doing amazing work, but it's like, are, are there gaps in like offering patients opportunities that may not be at the center that they're going to, or not even an academic place, but even at a, at a community place, are there, are we missing, are there gaps that people are not getting opportunities to participate in clinical trials or are there educational uh, mishaps that are that are happening? Do you know what I mean? It's like, so I feel like it's like, I can go to Mass General or Dana-Farber and it's like, okay, you got there, here are these three clinical trials, but are there other opportunities that might be available? And I think, does that get maybe to the mission of, of of what mass massive bio is 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 going after, and I'd love to have you share us with us about that. Yeah, so there are Dave. I think at least three different gaps that's happening. One of them is the education and awareness. Okay, what clinical trial means and what kind of value proposition that a clinical trial will bring to that individual cancer patient's life, you know, from, uh, you know, becoming the kind of the having the, the better, I would say, uh, treatment option, because, you know, like you go into that fairly granular or vanilla process when you're going into a, a clinical research setting, you know, like there are all these kind of things that and, and you know, am I a kind of a uh, is it going to be a placebo? Am I going to be, uh, I would say, the, the the research subject, or am I going to just go, going into a different route? So I think there's a lot of educational things that needs to be, uh, I would say, made available uh, to the cancer patients, uh, and th that's incredibly important in my perspective. The second thing is that the the kind of the challenges of where you actually go as a cancer patient, you know, do you go into a large academic cancer or do you go into more like a community-based setting? But with all respect, you know, for example, even in the large academic cancer center, we are working with one of them and, and you know, that there are 324 clinical trials. And in order to prescreen one single patient to 324 clinical trials, manually takes 48 days, okay? There is no a way to comprehend the amount of manual workload so that this needs to be digitized, this needs to be, uh, I would say, technology integration that needs to happen. But in order to be able to do that technology integration in a large medical care center, it's a multi-year project. So I think 
the, we have the old inspiration, but operationalization, how this is going to happen, you know, you know, even the these larger cardiac care center wanted to do this thing, it's still pretty restricted and challenges, challenging. And then the third thing is that all the operational issues of kind of closing the last mile for a cancer patient, because this is not about that, you know, Dave knows that this trial is the golden trial for him, okay? What is also important is that if this is a golden trial for Dave, how Dave is going to be able to make that trial, okay? You know, like what kind of a mechanism that's going to happen to, I would say, facilitate your communication between the PI, your treating oncologist, your caregiver, you know, like, are you going to be able to kind of resolve any of the logistical issue? Can you do certain things virtually? Can you do certain things, I would say, at the site? And also, you know, are you going to experience any kind of out-of-pocket? You know, what do you need to do? Or do you need to get next-generation sequencing testing to be evaluated for a biomarker-based trial? You know, all those kind of the, um, I would say, the, uh, the logistical issues that needs to be resolved as well. I think one of the challenges of this uh, oncology, especially on the clinical trial and Roman world is that, you know, there are multifactorial challenges that you deal with. And, you know, you have to kind of pay attention and solve to this one. And that's kind of one of the reasons at Mass Bio, we are laser focused on oncology and hematology because, you know, I don't want it to do a half-baked job and try to support all, uh, I would say, disease type, but I want it to go deep and deep and deep in the world of oncology and hematology and try to resolve these issues one by one. Am I saying that, you know, like tomorrow we are going to change the entire world? It's absolutely not possible. But it's, it, to me, it's always like creating a dent even is better than zero. So I think there are sometimes people are saying, Sid, and you basically guys are working this hard. Is it even kind of worth it? You know, like, it's just like so challenging. And I'm like, yes, it's worth it. If I add one more day, in one person's life because of the kind of the guidance that we provided and the bottlenecks that we have eliminated, it, it's worth a life, okay? So that's kind of my, uh, I would say vantage point is, uh, but there, there is no kind of um, question that too much pushing, too much, uh, I would say problem solving, uh, you know, like from uh, 7 a.m. in the morning to 2 a.m. Uh, at night. Yeah, I have to say, uh, Celine, uh I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna frame it this way: that uh, I would love for you to frame this in the the last mile scenario, the last mile metaphor that you that you describe, because I, I I totally appreciate that. I totally I totally get that, but I also want you to have this opportunity to again from a from an engineer uh, perspective, right? Which is your knowledge and experience and you're like a really rockstar smart person. As you look at Massive Bio and you look at that last mile and the, what you just described, right? You literally just described th this challenge of like getting people into clinical trials I would love to have you share with us your vision slash mission slash, I guess, vision, mission, gosh, just, 
I know how much you care about this. Can you can you just can you sort of sum that up for us, if that makes sense? So I think there are two big picture things that we're trying to solve. One of them is that we are trying to solve all the pressures and bottlenecks in that entire patient enrollment value chain, you know, from patient identification, from the education side, from a pre-screening side, so that we develop the right technology so that they can be pre-screened for 13,000 trials, not in 48 days in kind of, uh, uh, I would say, in a much, I would say, uh, smaller amount of time, and then putting all the troops on the ground in order to be able to resolve these last mile issues in order to basically, not only we go to Dave and we say, Dave, you have like these uh, X trials, that, that's great, but you have the ability to actually enroll into that trials, so, you know, like, that enrollment value chain and i think you know like that is even the kind of the the wording that we have brought into the industry you know that value chain of the enrollment uh, in the clinical trial is kind of key for this thing and we are decomposing that value chain into the teeth to optimize to understand where the bottlenecks are and how we can solve that so that's kind of one contribution that we are doing in the industry that patient enrollment value chain understanding uh, as well as resolving the bottlenecks uh, in that value chain using the data technology and services. So that's kind of one, one gorilla that we are kind of solving. The other thing that we are solving is that the scale, okay? Because, you know, that even based on my understanding, even if you go into the large academic medical center, the scale of the prescreens are still pretty limited. You know, like we just wanted to make sure that you know, we scale this thing so that not one patient, not two patients, 100,000 patients get access to, millions of patients that gets access to. However, if the, the kind of the, the, the last mile issues are so challenging that that's kind of where you get into that kind of gridlock and you need to become almost like an Amazon level of scale in order to kind of overcome these issues. So, you know, like you get into that hamster mode, you know, scale, solving the problem, scale, solving the problem at the individual patient level. So those are the things that we're trying to do because if we cannot scale this thing to the population, you know, it's going to always stay as mom and pop shop and there is no way to move the field with mom and pop shop. Okay, you can move the field with scale. You know, that's the other part that we are saving. You know, this is very high touch, but how you can take a high touch, I would say last mile problem and think differently so that it is scale. You know, how you can use the artificial intelligence if the kind of the patient situation is X, Y, Z, you know, what are the next steps in the kind of the workflow that you need to get into in order to give the right access to that patient? And you use, for example, artificial intelligence in order to be able to give you that direction, what has been that you need to do because you have done this thing in 250 patients the, the three months before that. Do you know what I mean? So you have to learn from these patient experiences, you know, challenges, because, you know, there are, when a patient arrives uh, right now to our patient contact center, you know, like 
every patient is unique and different, but you know, like there are certain kind of organizational memory that we have, okay, we solve this issue for this patient in this way. And then we are solving this kind of patient, the next patient in this way, which is similar because the kind of the cases are starting to become similar after you get to a certain scale so that we become more and more efficient in our problem solving skills to make it further scale. So those are the two major things that we are trying to solve. We are actually baselining uh, the patient enrollment value chain and really introducing to the industry what this actually means and how it needs to be resolved. And then the second thing that we are trying to do is that let's don't resolve it for one patient. Let's try to do this thing at scale so that we can actually feel it to our bones that the industry is moving forward. Otherwise, you're going to have another paper that says that you know the clinical trial enrollment rate for a 50 patient is like 0.01%. So that's not what what we want. I, I have to tell you that, um, and you and I could talk for hours uh, <laughs> about this, um, uh, Celine. Um, that this moving beyond the mom and pop shop, I totally get that um, description and what you're talking about with AI and trying to scale this to have the greatest impact. Uh, I, I, as I said, we could talk about this for, for, for more, many, 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 many more hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, 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 I appreciate your, um, your passion for this and your, the work that you're doing and uh, the work that Massive uh, Bio is doing uh, to try to get more patients involved with clinical trials. And, you know, I, I, I I, I think you've you've made some amazing points about it's it's not it, there's no simple solution to what we're talking about, but I appreciate your passion for it and your um in bringing your engineering focus to it. And I, I I can tell you as a as a lung cancer survivor, I appreciate that. I do appreciate that it's not just the oncologists or the nurse navigators or the social workers there's there's we're all in this together right and so bring in engineering um uh focus and mission to this um is super important so i want to tell you like i am like so grateful for everything that you do Celine, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you being on my show. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dave, uh, for the opportunity. You know, it was delightful to get to know you, to be in this show. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, every day, you know, like every night, you know, in one hand, you know, we are, we are basically helping one patient. On the other hand, you basically hear another news and then the kind of the tears coming from my eyes, even to this day. You know, this is just like a really a roller coaster that we are going through every hour. But, you know, like this is this is love, you know, like we basically put our heart, mind, everything onto this. You know, again, if we can say one day, one event, one of everything, I think it's just worth it. And I really want people feel the same way and then come together and let's attack this thing together. Uh, in order to create that dent, it, it's worth it. I, I feel it's worth it. 
and I hope that other kind of uh, people feel the same way. And um, and I cannot be more excited with the world, uh, you know, what the new things that we are going to kind of bring together in this world to even do it that kind of small dent in this oncology clinical trial enrollment. And hopefully the next generations will take that as an example for the, to solve other complicated problems. Celine, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. It's great to have you on my show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dave.